Well, good morning, Bell Shoals family. My name is Corey Abney, and I serve as a lead pastor. So glad to have you with us today. Those of you in the room here at our Brandon campus and those of you tuning in online from across the country and even places around the world, we are kicking off a new teaching series today called Intentional Family. And over the next six weeks, we're going to talk about some very practical matters related to marriage, parenting, and family. And today, uh, we're going to start by talking about the meaning of marriage and how to have a meaningful marriage. Because, as we will see, marriage is the foundation of family. And so we will kick off this series talking about marriage and whether you're in the room today, you're tuning in online today, and you're married or you're single and hoping to be married in the future, we will walk through some practical pieces of advice and some practical scriptures related to how to navigate marriage in a meaningful way because God is the author of marriage and his design for marriage is one that is incredibly good for all. But it's not easy. Marriage is not an easy dynamic to navigate. Uh, it's, it's, it's never something that will be easy. It's, it's a relationship with many ups and downs and it requires a lot of commitment. I saw some quotes about marriage that I thought some of you can relate to. Uh, when asked how best to make marriage work, Ricky, a 10-year-old boy, said, you have to tell your wife she looks pretty even if she looks like a truck. <laughs> In answering whether or not it's better to be single or married, nine-year-old Anita said, well, it's better for girls to be single but not for boys because boys need someone to clean up after them. <laughs> That's not too far from the truth. And then Kirsten, a 10-year-old girl, may have captured how many people feel about marriage. She said, no one decides beforehand who they're going to marry. God decides all the way before, and then you find out later who you're stuck with. <laughs> now, maybe you came into the room today, or maybe you joined us online today feeling stuck in your marriage. Or maybe you felt that way in the past. Or maybe you're here and you're single and, and you've bought into what our culture has told you with respect to marriage, that it's, it's, it's something you get stuck in and so you'd be better off to stay away from it. <laughs> but wherever you are today, I think it's important as we think about family to talk about really the foundational relationship of the family, and that is the relationship between a husband and a wife. And contrary to where our society is going and what our society is suggesting, I, I want you to see today that marriage is a good thing. And God has given us marriage as a means to be a tremendous blessing to establish the family and his desire is that every single one of our marriages is meaningful. And so we're going to talk about that today. How our marriages can be 
meaningful, how to have a meaningful marriage. And so uh, let, me, let, me, let me give you, as we begin, a, a foundational truth that literally you need to build your marriage upon or you need to build it upon in the future if you're not currently married. And, and, and we're going to flesh this out today as we, as we look at God's design. But marriage is a covenant relationship. So how should I think of marriage, approach marriage? Okay, marriage is a covenant relationship where faithfulness to my spouse mirrors God's faithfulness to me. This is the foundational truth of marriage. It is a covenantal relationship where faithfulness to my spouse mirrors God's faithfulness to me. This is God's design. And, and if you kind of survey the landscape of our society, you'll, you'll see there are about three general approaches to marriage. The first is casual. There are a growing number of people today, a lot of students, college students, young, young professionals, there are a lot, of, a lot of people today, especially younger men and women, who see marriage as a casual relationship or as a casual dynamic. It's basically a glorified domestic partnership. And if one enters into that marriage relationship, it's, it's quite casual in nature. It's kind of like, hey, no major strings attached. If it works out great, if it doesn't work out, no problem. If it's uh, better financially, try it. If it doesn't work out, get out of it. And there are a lot of people with an increasing view of marriage that's very, very casual. It's, in essence, a, a glorified domestic partnership. Secondly, there are a lot of people who see marriage as a contractual relationship. It's contractual, you know. It's, it's, it's more than casual. They see it as significant, but the nature of the relationship is contractual in the sense that if you don't uphold your end of the contract, then I don't have to uphold mine. That's probably the most common view of marriage in our society. You know, contracts are essentially agreements that are rooted in mutual distrust. <laughs> I'm not sure you're going to be able to make good on your end of the deal. And yeah, well, I'm not sure you're going to be able to make good on yours. And so we're going to enter a contract to where if either one of us fail to do what we've agreed to do, then the other can get out without consequences. And that's largely how most people view marriage today. It's contractual. And so if you don't love me or respect me as you promised to love or respect me, then I don't have to love or respect you in return. If you don't love me, respect me. If you, if you mess up, if, if you do or say some things that are very egregious or hurtful to me, then that's my out because you've broken your end of the contract so I can break my end of the contract, no problem. That's, that's, that's a very common view of marriage today. Not casual, but contractual, and therefore the marriage relationship looks a whole lot like scorekeeping. <laughs> you know, you do something good, you get a few points. You do something bad, you get a few points deducted. And for those of you who have never married, let me just give you an idea of, of what this looks like. You're like, man, you can, you can kind of relate to your spouse in a scorekeeping kind of way. Oh, yeah, yeah, easy, easy to do. That, that, that's kind of a default mode for a lot of people today who have a contractual view of marriage. For instance, like when it comes to communication, you know, like, like I know like when your wife wants to talk to you guys, like when, when she wants to talk about a problem or a concern, if you listen and you display what looks like an interested expression, you get no points for that. That's expected. If you listen 
For more than 30 minutes, though, you get five points for that. That's good. And if you listen for more than 30 minutes without looking at the TV, 30 points for that one. Because that is really hard to do this time of year. <laughs> I mean, hey, let's face it. The Bucks play today. The GOAT kicks off at 4 p.m. We're going to be 2-0 and after today on our way to 17-0 to and in another Super Bowl. And let me tell you what happened. You've never been married? Let me tell you what happens, okay? Sure enough, I know what's going to happen today. My beautiful wife's going to walk in the living room at 4.15 and say, Honey, I need to talk to you. And I'll probably at that point just think, you know what? That's not even worth the points. I can't talk right now. I'm really, really busy. The goat is on the screen, right? And so you say, can you get points for that? Like, yes, communication's a big deal. What about various responsibilities? You know what I found? Guys, if you, if you get up in the morning and you make the bed, five points for that. But if you just throw the comforter over wrinkled sheets, zero points for that. That, that doesn't count as making the bed. But here's the key. If you make the bed, iron out the wrinkles, but then forget to add the decorative pillows in the right order. Negative five for that. See, you actually get docked points for that. Okay? You have to get the pillows on the right place in the right order. Okay? Uh, you get up at night. You check out a suspicious noise. Got no points for that. That's expected. You check out a suspicious noise, and it's something. Zero points for that. That's expected. If you pummel that something with a six iron, you get five points for that. If it turns out to be her father, negative 15. That, that, that's not good. You have to be very, very careful in the middle of the night. How about, how about your physique? You know, sometimes... You know, your body's changed. The older you get, the longer you're married. Guys, you develop a noticeable pot belly. Negative 15 points for that. You develop, though, a noticeable pot belly, and you exercise and diet to get rid of it, plus 15. That shows initiative. You develop a noticeable pot belly and reduce yourself to baggy jeans and a loose Hawaiian shirt. Negative 30 for that. That's, that's not something she's interested in. Or you look at your wife and you say, I don't really care because you have one too. Negative 500. You don't, you don't, you don't want to, you don't want to do that. Okay. No, you don't, don't want to do that. So I'm trying to help you out today. See, okay. How in marriage, seriously, do you interact contractually with each other? Well, it's just very, very simple. Over the course of time, here's what happens. The longer you live in close proximity to someone, the greater the chance you're going to hurt them, bother them, frustrate them. And, and therefore, what can easily happen is you, you kind of develop a mentality of, okay, you're not upholding your end of the deal. You're not loving me, respecting me as you said you would or as I think you should. And therefore, I don't have to reciprocate and love and respect you. I, I can... I can score keep, and, and I'm basically going to match wherever you are, or I'm going to take an off-ramp, and I'm justified because you didn't uphold your end of the contract. Very common view today. Casual, contractual. Let me, let me give you a third view of marriage, which really is consistent with God's design, and that's covenantal. Covenantal. Not casual, not contractual, something actually much deeper than that, much more profound than that. This is God's design covenantal. We see it as a covenant. You say, what's the difference between a covenant and a contract? Well, if you go back to the Old Testament, what you find 
is that God entered into a covenant relationship with Israel. Significant. Not contractual. Covenantal. The difference between a contractual relationship and a covenantal relationship is that a covenantal relationship is rooted in unconditional love and faithfulness. They were members of Israel's community who would enter into covenant with each other as well. In line with kind of how God had entered into a covenant relationship with them, here's what they would do. Literally, this is what they would do. I don't know why they did this this way, but this is what they did. They would take an animal, they would cut it in half. Like when there would be a significant agreement that they would come into, it it was regarded as covenant. Here's the difference between a contract and a covenant. If it were a covenant relationship, they would split an animal in half. The the blood would be shed there on the ground. They would take the two ends of the animal and put them separate from the blood in the middle. They would walk through the blood together, and then they would agree upon whatever it is they were agreeing upon, signifying, if I don't uphold my end of the commitment and covenant, may this happen to me. And it is in essence an agreement saying, I'm going to uphold my end of the covenant regardless of what you do. I mean, it was a really big deal. That's way different than a contract. Again, a contract is a document rooted in distrust, where if you don't do what you're supposed to do, I don't have to do what I'm supposed to do, and we can both get out of it, no questions asked. No, 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 marriage is a covenant. It's seen as a covenant, given as a covenant, and and. And, and in the same way that, that God established a covenant with his people, he's given us the sanctity of marriage whereby we enter into a covenant relationship with our spouse. A relationship that in essence says, regardless of what you do, I'm going to be faithful to my covenant. I'm going to show you there are a couple of exceptions to that, that God, given the, the sin in our world, his has, has carved out for us, but, but largely speaking, the biblical view of marriage is I'm going to be faithful to my covenant no matter what. This is God's history with his people. Do you, do you remember what God did with Noah? God gave him a covenant. What was the covenant God gave Noah? He said, I'm never going to flood the earth with water ever again. The rainbow is a, is a mark of God's faithfulness, a reminder he's never going to flood the earth again. You say, well, was that a covenant? Yeah, you know why? Because Noah, not long after he got off the ark, got drunk and made a fool out of himself. Was God still faithful to his covenant? 100% he was. God gave Abraham a covenant. He said, your descendants will be more numerous than the stars in the sky. Well, was God faithful to his covenant even though Abraham was not? Yes, and Abraham was not. Abraham made some egregious mistakes. God was still faithful to his covenant. God gave his covenant to David. He said, David, I'm going to establish a kingdom that will never end through you and your people. I'm going to build a house, a temple through you and your descendants. Did God do all of that? Yes. Was David perfect? No. But God was faithful to his covenant. To David, he was faithful to his covenant with Noah. He was faithful to his covenant with Abraham, he was faithful to his covenant with Israel to the extent that when they were unfaithful, when they messed up, when they sinned, God was still faithful to his covenant. Here's what the scripture says, Psalm 94, the Lord will not reject his people. He will not abandon his special 
possession. God is always faithful to his covenant, even when his people are not. You say, does that still apply today now that you know, we're not national Israel? You better believe it because God has given us something better than, 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 than just um, a theocracy like what Israel enjoyed. You know what God has given us through Jesus, his son? He has given us a, a direct access to him. And it is a covenant relationship that we enter into with God through, guess what? The blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. And God has shed the blood of his only begotten Son as a means of establishing a covenant relationship with his people, whereby through the blood of Jesus, our sins are forgiven and we are adopted as sons and daughters of God to this extent when we are unfaithful, when we sin, when we are arrogant, prideful, selfish, when we uh, are prone to idolatry and pursuing secondary temporal things instead of eternal things, guess what? God is still faithful to his covenant with us. A covenant sealed through the blood of Jesus. That's why 2 Timothy 2 says this, not just Israel, you and me now. If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. He will not deny his covenant. He will not turn his back on his children. He has established a relationship of covenant with me and you. And he will always be faithful to that covenant because that covenant is sealed in blood. He said, and what does that have to do with marriage? Here you go. Marriage is the closest human dynamic we have on earth to emulate that relational dynamic we have with God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. God has given us the gift of marriage as the primary picture of what it looks like to be in family with God. That's why marriage is not a casual relationship. It's not a contractual relationship. Marriage is a covenantal relationship designed to reflect the covenant relationship we have with God himself. That's why in the New Testament, by the way, you and I are referred to as the bride of Christ. And one day the groom, Jesus, is going to return for his bride. Our relationship as the church with God is spoken of in terms of a marital union. It is the bride who is awaiting the union with the groom. Heaven described for us as something as a wedding reception when the groom comes for his bride and we feast at a table and we celebrate together. You say, is marriage really a covenant? Absolutely. It is a covenant rooted in unconditional love and faithfulness. In other words, marriage is a covenant where my faithfulness to my spouse mirrors God's faithfulness to me. I want you to know marriage is a really big deal. Marriage is something we should hold in high regard. Marriage is something that's incredibly good, and marriage is something designed to be a blessing to all who share in it. It's not a casual relationship. It's not a contractual relationship. 
It is a covenantal relationship that reflects the faithful love of God. And so let me give you a few takeaways here that I think will help us to to cultivate a, a meaningful marriage. If you're in a marriage today, if you hope to be or plan to be in a marriage in the future, just a couple things I'd encourage you to jot down. First of all, I want you to see that God's design for marriage is for it to be meaningful and fulfilling. I just have to reiterate quickly, this is God's design. Why? Because we live in a society that views marriage so negatively as a hindrance or as something that is, uh, you know, it's like a, it's like, it's like a ball and chain. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a hindrance to us, our happiness. No, 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 no. What we find is that marriage is a good thing. This might be the most controversial thing I say throughout this entire series. Marriage is a good thing. Now, let me be clear. It's not the only thing. If you're here today and you're single, maybe you've been through a divorce, maybe you've never married, maybe you're a widow or a widower, I want you to hear me say this very clearly. Marriage is not the only thing, and there are no second-class citizens in God's economy. No second-class citizens. In fact, we have precedent in the Scriptures for those who are single to be very fulfilled in their singleness, some called to singleness, able to serve the Lord in ways that married people cannot. And so singleness is also good if that's what you're called to, if that's the state you're in right now. You are not a second-class citizen. You should not feel bad. Listen, God has a, a, a purpose for your life and for your singleness, and you should rejoice in that. Marriage is not the only thing. But for those of you who are called to marriage in the future or you're married today, let me say it one more time, marriage is a good thing. Contrary to what you're going to read and see in our society, marriage is a good thing. And God's design in marriage is for it to be meaningful and fulfilling. Let me give you one verse of scripture I love. Proverbs 18:22. The man who finds a wife finds a treasure. Now, see, guys, there you go. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm try- I can't put the points in your pocket for you, okay? So l- let, me, let, me, let me back up. Let me try this again. The man who finds a wife finds a treasure. Yes, we find a treasure. Ladies, just be gracious with us, okay? Some of you have already learned. Not all of us are the sharpest knives in the drawer, all right? But we're trying. The man who finds a wife finds a treasure and he receives favor from the Lord. Marriage is a good thing. Not the only thing. It's a good thing. Let, let, let me share with you Ecclesiastes 4. Some of you may have had this read at your wedding if you're married today. This is not a passage of scripture specifically about marriage, but it applies to marriage. Two people are better off than one for they can help each other succeed. This is just a description of some of the benefits of marriage, right? If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. <laughs> Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. Amen. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. All right. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two standing back to back can conquer. There are three or even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. If we were to apply that to marriage, and if you had this passage read at your wedding, no doubt whoever married you said appropriately, the three-strand cord is you, your spouse, and King Jesus. (laughs) And so the, the point is, again, Ecclesiastes isn't speaking only to marriage there, 
but, but it certainly applies that there are so many blessings of being married. And then I love this, Hebrews 13. It says, give honor to marriage. Literally there, marriage should be honored by all. Single, married, divorced, widowed, no matter what. All, all of us, whether or not we're married, should honor marriage and remain faithful to one another in it. Let me say it again. Marriage is given to us by God to be meaningful and fulfilling. Marriage is good. It is a good thing. And, and even though our society doesn't see it as meaningful, I, I'm telling you it is. And, and we need to celebrate what God has given to us. Because a lot of people just aren't. Increasingly, this is the case. There are more young people waiting to get married or not getting married at all because of the way it's perceived in our society. And that's so sad to me. Again, not that everyone has to get married or should get married, but, but it's just the negativity involving marriage that should be a red flag to us. The Pew Research Center did a study in 2014 where they gave some adults in our society two statements to choose from, to choose which one they preferred. Here's the first statement. Society is better off if people make marriage and having children a priority. Or secondly, here's a second statement. Society is just as well off if people have priorities other than marriage or children. 46% of adults chose the first statement, while 50% chose the second. In other words, you have now over half of men and women in our society who would say marriage and family are, are not something that would contribute to a well-functioning society. And that's very sad to me. I think part of the reason for this negativity is just, you know what, there, there aren't enough positive stories out there of the blessing and the benefit of marriage. You know, we only get the horror stories. That's what makes the headlines. Like, that's what we love to talk about around the water cooler. You know what I'm saying? Like, I remember when my wife and I got pregnant, when she got pregnant, and I was just kind of watching. And, um, you know, like, I remember that. Like, the excitement. We were just so excited. And I just have to tell you, like, I mean, it's just human nature. I get it. But it's, I, I mean, over the, over the first several months of, like, our pregnancy, I mean, I was amazed at how many people were like, oh, yeah, let me tell you what happened with me, honey. I didn't make it to the ER in time, and I didn't get that epidural, and woo, I would not go natural. You know, we're like, what? People describing what happened in labor and delivery, and I had a baby come out with four heads. I don't know what happened. You know, it's like, we just like got everybody's horror story. I don't know if that might be the only one that's happened to like, like people like, oh yeah, well, just, hey, make sure this, make sure this. Make, and we're getting like all these horror stories. And I'm thinking, yeah, I don't know if we want to go through with this. <laughs> like, I don't know. And then guess what? Everything went fine. And for, I think, the majority of people, everything goes fine. Not everyone, but, you know, and I've got, I've got a, few, a few stories from from labor and delivery that I won't share with you right now because I'm not weird, but um, <laughs> like, I'm just saying seriously, like, I think with marriage, you know what, we hear about the Hollywood divorce and, 
the second divorce and the third divorce and dysfunctional family and all this. You just, I mean, that, that, that's what grabs the headlines. That's what we talk about around the watercolor. But, but can I just remind you, like, if, especially if you're young, you're a college student, young professional, you're looking into the future and you think marriage is just something that's like a drag and it's going to rob fulfillment or rob from your happiness. I just want to, that's not God's design. And, and I just want you to know there, 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 there are just, I mean, countless positive stories of what a blessing marriage is. You're just not hearing them. I'm not saying there are a million stories that marriage is easy. That's not what I'm suggesting today. But I am suggesting to you, if you were to dig beneath the societal surface, what you would discover are millions of people who would testify that marriage is meaningful. We just don't hear those stories. And as a result, we've got a society that's so individualistic, we, we are eroding the foundational fabric of our society because we, we are looking at marriage as something that's either casual or contractual when no God's given it to us as covenantal and as foundational for the family and foundational for our society. Tim Keller wrote a book on marriage. He was a pastor in New York City for many years, really, really sharp individual and a great leader. And he wrote a book on marriage a few years ago called The Meaning of Marriage. And he cited a secular study in his book that I thought was just really enlightening. Here's what he said. All surveys tell us that the number of married people who say they are very happy in their marriages is high, about 61 to 62 percent. Like the highest someone could rate their marriage. Very happy. He said, this is a secular study. 62% of people said they would rate their marriage as very happy. You're never going to see that in a headline. And then he continued. He says, there has been little decrease in that figure since the last decade. Most striking of all, longitudinal studies demonstrate that two-thirds of those unhappy marriages out there will become happy within five years if people stay married and avoid divorce. This led the University of Chicago sociologist Linda Waite to say, quote, the benefits of divorce have been oversold, end quote. During the last two decades, the great preponderance of research evidence shows that people who are married consistently show much higher degrees of satisfaction with their lives than those who are not married, divorced, or living with a partner. It also reveals that most people are happy in their marriages, and most of those who are not and who don't get divorced eventually become happy. Also, this is important, listen to me, children who grow up in married two-parent families have two to three times more positive life outcomes than those who do not. Therefore, he concludes, the overwhelming verdict then from secular studies is that being married and growing up with parents who are married are enormous boost to our well-being. In other words, you're saying our secular surveys have confirmed God's design? What a shock. (laughs) Yeah. Because first takeaway, God has given marriage to us so that it might be meaningful and fulfilling. That's God's design. Marriage is good. Now, secondly, how do we press in to that design and have a meaningful marriage? Well, let me give you one key takeaway here. That, that, that will help whether you're married or whether you're looking to marriage in the future. The key to a meaningful marriage is first developing a fulfilling friendship. This is huge. 
It's all right, I'm married today, struggling. All of us go through ups and downs in marriage. Maybe you feel like you're in need of an oil change. Maybe you're in need of major engine repair. Whatever your case today, maybe you're looking toward marriage in the future. I want you to hear me say very, very clearly, here's how you develop a meaningful marriage. You first start by developing a fulfilling friendship. This is the primary purpose God has given marriage to us. Friendship. Remember Genesis 2, let me show it to you. Remember the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. That's what God said. So I will make a helper who is just right for him. And so the Lord God formed the, from the ground all the wild animals and the birds of the sky. He brought them all to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. In other words, the man had dominion over all of these created beings. None of them were like him. None of them created in the image of God. And so he's naming them because he has authority and dominion over them. And so he gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, all the wild animals, but there was still no one like him. And so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while the man slept, he took out one of the man's ribs and he closed up the opening. And the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. And the man is thrilled. He says, at last, this is now bone from my bone, flesh from my flesh. She would be called woman because she was taken from man. In other words, I finally have an equal companionship, friendship, partnership. This is why God gave marriage to us. I mean, ultimately, spiritually, philosophically, it's pointing us to his covenantal love, but practically and relationally, this is given to us first and foremost for friendship, partnership, relationship. And so we have an editorial note in Genesis that says this, this is the reason a man leaves his father and mother, is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Why? Partnership, friendship, meaningful relationship. And you cannot have a meaningful marriage without having a fulfilling friendship. Why do I emphasize that today? Because our society is enamored more with romance than it is friendship. So if you're single today and you're planning to be married at some point in the future, listen to me very, very carefully. Stop searching for a romantic partner and start developing a meaningful friendship. There are too many of us who see marriage as the culmination of engaging social media. And you can put all those wonderful pictures of yourself up on Instagram and TikTok and Snapchat. And, and you, can, you, you can put yourself out there and you can get somebody to, to, to DM you and they will and all that. that. None of that's the foundation of a meaningful marriage. Because meaningful marriage is not primarily about dynamic romance. It's about fulfilling friendship. And what you should be more concerned about than romance is friendship. And I promise you, if you'll find a good friend who can be a marriage partner, then the romance will naturally come. <laughs> you won't have to work too much on the romance, okay? With enough time and opportunity, you'll figure the romance out. But you better marry someone who is a fulfilling friend a life partner. You can't have a meaningful marriage without that. Some of you walking through Barnes and Noble and you see the romance section and there's Fabio on the cover with the tan skin and the bulging muscles and the 
Goldilocks hair, and there he is. And ladies, you're like, oh, that's who I need in my life. No, no, you don't need him. He's a bozo, okay? Listen, that guy, is, is, he's dumber than a box of rocks. It's not worth it. Listen, he, he's, he has no job. He spends all of his day working out, okay? He's living in his parents' basement. He spends a fortune on hair care products. You can do better than him. You know what I told my wife when we were dating? You don't need somebody like that. You know what you need? Uh, a young, skinny man with a big pointy nose. That's who you need. Yeah, that's who you need. Somebody getting a college degree. I can dye my hair blonde and let it grow out. I can go to the tanning bed like Fabio. Come on. There are body suits I could put on beneath my clothes. I mean, come on, you know. <laughs> Here's the reality. There is no, there is no perfect marriage partner. <laughs> if you buy into the lie that that marriage is about romance or it's, you know, about infatuation or feeling. What, what you're going to discover is a relationship born out of casual dynamics or contractual dynamics, not something that's rooted in covenant. Covenant is about friendship. Covenant's about partnership. Covenant's about it's not good for you to be alone. If God's will for you is to marry... It's not good to be alone. And therefore, listen to me very, very carefully. If you're single, stop focusing on romance and start focusing on friendship. And if you're married today, no matter where you are on the spectrum of, of marriage, been married a small amount of time, a long amount of time, your marriage you'd say is great or it's struggling, wherever you are, listen to me. Here's the key to a meaningful marriage. You have to invest in the friendship and keep investing in the friendship. That's the most important thing. You say, why is that such a big deal? I'll tell you why it's a big deal. Because there are so many things that get in the way of that in the context of marriage. You start out, you're young, um, or you get married, whatever life stage you're in, and, and um, man, like, you don't have kids. I just remember when we were young, didn't have kids, and I mean, you don't feel like you have a lot of time, but looking back, you know, you've got a lot of time and you've got opportunities. You say, well, I didn't have a lot of money or I don't have a lot of money. It's okay. You don't have to have a lot of money to date. You don't have to have a lot of money to cultivate a meaningful friendship. There's a lot of things you can do together to invest in one another and just carry on that friendship that, that puts you in a place of marriage to begin with. Keep that up. Keep going. Because when it's, when, when it's early in your marriage, you know, it's easier to do that stuff. But here's what happens. Eventually the babies come through natural birth or adoption or whatever. The babies come. And when those babies land on your lap, everything changes. And I remember when our first was born, like, like, like she hated her car seat. And we would try to go out every now and then, and, and, and she hated her car seat. And she, we'd be out somewhere, and she'd wah, 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 wah. And I remember sometimes we'd go out to eat, and I'd just put that car seat in an empty booth, go sit somewhere. I was like, I don't know. I don't know whose baby that is. I mean, well, I wish somebody would take care of that. And, and nobody did, so we had to. So, no, I mean, like, I mean, like we, it, 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 I mean it, it was just more difficulty to go out than it was just to stay at home. And then money, we had no money, but no money anyway, but we had no money after the babies came because you know why? Diapers and formula are expensive, crazy expensive. My sweet wife, like in an effort to save money at one point, she said, honey, we're going to cloth diapers. And that lasted four and a half seconds. Okay, like that ain't happening. I mean, we had like two blowouts and it's like, okay, we're back, we're back. Then we bought cheap diapers. We had more blowouts, okay. Pampers, here we come. So do I have any retirement? No. 
okay? But, but we had pampers, okay? No. I'm just telling you, so it's like, man, you're overwhelmed, you're tired, you're trying to get on a schedule, and man, it's just, you know, it's hard to take your kids sometimes, and then the money can be tight, and you're adjusting, and so, you know, you don't date, and then, and then you get in. <laughs> We're going to talk about this in a couple of weeks. The toddler years. I'm telling you, some of you have toddlers. Some of you, you're getting ready to get in that life stage. Let me just tell you a lie that our society sells you. It's called the terrible twos. Uh-uh, uh-uh, terrible twos ain't nothing. It's the terrible threes, okay? The threes, listen, the terrible twos will stress you. The terrible threes will kill you. I'm just going to tell you right now. And I mean, so the way we did it, because we were so dumb and tired that we didn't know better, is like we keep having babies while we've got threes. It's like every time we had a two or three-year-old, boop, there's another baby. How did that baby get here? Oh, my goodness. Now I got a two-year-old and a baby. Oh, now I got a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and boop, another baby. Now I got a five and a three and a two and a boop. Okay, and it's like, whoa. I just feel like I just need to get this off my chest. I'm sorry. I've been carrying this a long time. (laughs) And a date night with three, like, Little kids under five or two or one and a terrible three. Like, I'm not, like, listen, we're going to walk through some things practically about about having toddlers. But, I mean, there were some days, like, if I were taking my toddler anywhere, it was to jail. Okay, that's where I was taking. Like, we're not going out to eat. (laughs) No way. And that's hard. And then I will say, then you get this little break called elementary years where God just smiles on you and says, that's okay. And you say, I think I got this parenting thing figured out. Oh, no, you ain't got nothing figured out. God's just giving you a little break before the hormones start raging. And the teenage years land in your house. And then you're like, oh, my goodness. And you've got ball games and school events and activities. And you're, um, you know, like us, if you have multiple kids, then like you're, you're dividing and conquering, and I'm with this child, and she's with this child, and we're a little older and a different stage of life, so we could probably go out to eat if we could ever find a night where we didn't have something with the kids. Or we were just so tired that we said, let's just stay home. And so here's, here's what I'm saying to you. I've never said, marriage is not easy, but if you want it to be meaningful, you have to invest in your friendship. I'm just saying, if you're married today, real life, okay, you have to make it a priority to spend time together. You have to. And there's a saying that, that's kind of governed my marriage and family. It's been helpful, even my, my, um, my career. You know, you, you establish a healthy rule, then you can manage the exceptions. And there can be some exceptional seasons, you know, where you don't get the date night in. You're not, you've got some exceptional things. You're traveling. There's some unique. But, but, but by and large, if you establish a healthy rule of investing in the friendship, communicating, doing life together, parenting together, trying to get away together when you can. I'm telling you, it makes all the difference in the world because the foundation of a meaningful marriage is friendship, not romance. It's friendship. And maybe today you're in a place where like, you know what, honey, we've got to invest in the friendship. Can I give you a word, like those of you with younger children, can I, can, let me just, again, you're, you, you got the whole, you're kind of your whole family ahead of you. Right? You're starting out, you got young kids. Just, just be reminded, the most important relationship in your home is a relationship between you and your spouse. The key to your kids' security and identity is what happens between you and your spouse. 
And even though your kids at times will kind of rebel and, oh, mom and dad, oh, don't kiss, don't hug, and oh, mom, no, 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 no. They need to see mom and dad love each other and mom and dad are committed to each other. They need to see that. And so I'm trying, I try to gross my kids out frequently. <laughs> and I just say, you're welcome. <laughs> my wife and I learned when our kids were little, it was okay to put them in the playpen for 15 minutes, even though sometimes they would kick and scream and they didn't want to be by themselves. But we had said, no, it's okay. Mom and dad are going to have a few minutes together to spend together. And we want to teach our kids that the most important relationship in the house is the relationship between mom and dad. And I just want to encourage you, if you're in that life stage, to make sure you have that time. You got teenagers like I do, and you run all over to different events and activities, you got to take the time. You're busy with your career, you got to take the time. If you want to have a meaningful marriage, you have to develop a fulfilling friendship. Then lastly, then, um, then we'll go, listen, here, here's the thing. Just remember, a meaningful marriage is less about being in love, and it's more about being faithful to your covenant. Yeah, yeah, celebrate that. It's less about being in love. It's more about being faithful to your covenant. I, I, just, I just have to tell you, think about marriage today. Just two main takeaways. Again, first of all, I mean, it's good. <laughs> marriage is good. It's not the only thing, but it's a good thing. If you want to make it meaningful, you have to invest in your friendship. That's why God gave it to you primarily relationally. And then, and then lastly, you need to focus more on being faithful to your covenant than you do feeling in love. Our, our society is, um, is just immersed in feeling. And I don't know how to tell you this other than just to tell you straight up. I've been married um, twenty three years. <laughs> I never said math was my strong suit, all right. Twenty three years, I'll just tell you. I have the best wife in the world. She's amazing. She's made me mad twice. I've made her mad twice this morning. <laughs> but I, real life, you won't get out of bed every single morning and feel as in love with your spouse the day of your wedding. You won't. There'll be some, some days you feel like a love and a passion and enthusiasm that far exceeds what you had early. And then there might be some days where you don't feel much of anything at all. It, honestly, it may just be something that's physically driven or hormonally driven. Like, it may not even be relationally driven. Like, you may, you may just wake up and, like, you know, I just, you're tired. Or maybe it's just the tension of proximity. It may not even be anything major. But our society is enamored with feeling. And if you don't feel in love, then, you know, you bail. And I'm just here to give testimony to the fact that God will never divorce his people regardless of how he feels about us. Because there are plenty of times I'm unfaithful to my father or I'm selfish or prideful. I'm disobedient. And you know what? My God is never going to fail to be faithful to the covenant he established with me through the blood of the Lamb. Now, does he give us some exceptions? 
before divorce, he does. But when Jesus taught on that, and, and he so narrowed the exceptions in an effort to elevate marriage, the disciples said, my goodness, it's better that we don't marry. God takes this so seriously. Like, if I'm going to come into this marriage relationship casually or contractually, it's better off not to marry. It's a big deal to God. And so today I just want you to know, if you want to be in a marriage that's meaningful, you need to see it as a good thing. Not the only thing, a good thing. And then focus on your friendship. And then cultivate a friendship that's rooted in covenant, not feelings. Because your feelings sometimes will deceive you. But your covenant will anchor you. And I've walked with some couples through some of the most horrific circumstances you can imagine. And I've seen them remain faithful to their covenant and um, testify today, years later, to a more meaningful and fulfilling marriage than they ever had, even before crisis. Because covenant matters. And you may be in an exceptional situation. If so, we'd love to help you navigate that. And um, we understand there are, there are exceptional circumstances. But generally speaking, here's my hope for you. Not married, are currently married. I just want you, my hope is that you'll, you'll understand the sanctity that God's assigned to marriage and the benefit and the beauty of it for those who treat it as covenant. For those who, who navigate it, not based on feeling, but who do so based on covenant. And when you build a marriage on the foundation of covenant, then what that enables you to do is to address the issues and the problems and the challenges and the failures in a way to where you're positioned to succeed, not fail. My wife and I have never threatened divorce with each other, ever. Now, she's threatened murder on a few occasions. <laughs> on a few. Well-deserved. Thankfully, she didn't follow through. We just said to one another, you know, it's, it's, it's not going to be easy. And I'll tell you, of the 23 years we've been married, they've been 22 of the best years of my life. Because <laughs> the first year was rough. But I've seen God's design bring tremendous blessing and fulfillment. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this. He said, as you gave the ring one to another and have now received it a second time from the hand of the pastor, so love comes from you, but marriage from above from God. And as high as God is above man, so high are the sanctity, the rights, and the promises of love. And so it's not your love that sustains the marriage, but from now on, the marriage that sustains the love. Covenant. I will be faithful to the covenant, no matter what. And Henry Ford summed it up best, I think, when on his 50th wedding anniversary, he was asked, what is the key to longevity? You know what he said? He said, it's the same as in the automobile business. You have to stick to the same model. <laughs> it's good advice. 